couple weeks ago, we finished a series on truth in art, right? And uh, so that was a great series. I've gotten lots of good feedback about that. And the idea, of course, in that series was that uh, in art, we see all sorts of truth that actually is corroborated uh, biblically. That was a really fun series. Uh, then last week, we stepped into a new series. And uh, it's a little series. We're just going to do it for two weeks. This is the second week. But there's this, uh, this thing called the liturgical calendar. And the liturgical calendar is basically a shared series of uh, readings of Scripture and sermon topics and all sorts of other things that are devel- have been developed into a calendar and are really used throughout the worldwide church. And so today, we're actually going to be celebrating something called Pentecost Sunday. We're going to get to that in a few moments. Last week, it was Ascension Sunday. And, uh, and when we talked about Ascension Sunday, what we basically said is there are these parts of Scripture, these parts of the story of Jesus that are really the high points, right? We know that Jesus was born. We know that he died. That's a high point. We know that he rose again from the dead. That's a high point. But the fourth high point that uh, church history recognizes via the Westminster Confession and the, you know, the various Reformed catechisms and the liturgical calendar and all of these things is that Jesus then ascended and sits at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. And more often than not, what we think about is, well, when Jesus rose from the dead, he went up into heaven, and it was game over, right? He's done. And uh, I use the, the, uh, the illustration that he's sitting on a, you know, a heavenly beach somewhere, sipping fruity drinks, and he's just taking a time off, right? The reality is that he was done with his redemptive work, right? But the truth is he's still working to this day, but the, the work that he's doing today is a restorative work. It's bringing the kingdom to come through the Holy Spirit, and through us. That's what he's doing as he's seated at the right hand of God, the Father Almighty. This morning, we're celebrating Pentecost Sunday. Pentecost Sunday. Now, it's funny. I talked to someone a couple days ago who is theologically and biblically very astute, and I said, hey, what do you know about Pentecost Sunday? And it was very clear that the person understood bits and pieces, but in reality, their response was kind of like, I don't know, right? And so when you hear that word Pentecost, we're familiar with the Pentagon, right? We're familiar with that. We're familiar with the pentagram. We're not going to put a picture of that up on the screen today. And we're, maybe some of us are familiar with what is known as the pentaveret. Anybody know about the pentaveret? There's a great movie called So I Married an Axe Murderer. It's a comedy. Mike Myers, who is Canadian, is in it. And in it, he has a Scottish uh, father, and his Scottish father is telling him all about the pentaveret. And he says, you know, the pentaveret, it's a group of the five wealthiest people in the world who meet triannually and run basically everything in the world. That group is comprised of the Queen, the Vatican, the Gettys, the Rothschilds, and Colonel Sanders. Right? You guys ever seen that before? So you need to check it out. Honestly, that's I, I recommend that movie highly. Anyway, maybe PG-13, but it's, it's a little bit of a cult film. Anyway, so the idea, we're going to be talking about the Pentecost today. Before we jump into this idea of the Pentecost, whatever that means, I'm going to take a moment and we're going to pray. Father, thank you for this day. Thank you uh, for not leaving us in darkness But Father, I thank you that you sent your son, Jesus, to be the light who revealed to us uh, not only who you are, but Father, who we are. And so, Father, I pray this morning that through the power of your spirit, you would work in us. I pray that you would work through us. I pray that you would change the way that we not only think, but I pray that you would change the way that we feel. Father, I pray that uh, we would go out into the community of Rome, Georgia, and even to the ends of the earth, And that we would pray towards and partner with you in seeing your kingdom come in Rome, Georgia, and all the way to the ends of of the earth. Father, we pray all these things today in the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen. Now, let me call time out really quickly. I'm going to, 
I'm going to show you a little video clip, and uh, this little video clip is from a, a movie called The Apostle, and it's going to set up the, the basic theme of what Pentecost is all about today. And so I'm going to go ahead and just let you know that uh, that clip is coming, and uh, we'll go ahead and put it up on the screen right here. I should, have, I should have prepared you emotionally for what that was going to be. <clears throat> it's okay to smile at that a, a little bit. In fact, what's interesting is Robert Duvall, who is just a fantastic actor, um, he actually uh, wrote and produced this movie by himself. I think he funded it by himself, in fact. And, uh, and so it's interesting. You know, he had this, uh, this uh, real interest in the Pentecostal movement, right? So this is a picture of the Pentecostal movement, the real focus on the Holy Spirit. And so in the background, while the various people are preaching— uh, he's just got this massive grin on his face. Like, you can just tell that uh, I, I literally think he's enjoying the show, because I'm sure those are real evangelists. In fact, uh, today, instead of me preaching, uh, you notice the woman that came up at the end. We're actually going to have her preach today. So it's a surprise. Just kidding. It's just me. Just anyway. But the point is, <clears throat> what the, this, this group of, of people called the Pentecostals, it's actually a denomination, what, the, what they really do is they talk about the Holy Spirit. And so we live and exist in a very you know, sort of Anglo-Western world. I was talking to David this morning, David Slade, who led worship for us. And I was basically saying, I did all this research to try to write this sermon today and talk about, you know, Pentecost and talk about the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to get into in a minute. And what I found is that uh, all the people that are writing and talking about Pentecost or talking about the Holy Spirit, they, they are not from our particular tradition, right? Not a lot of Anglo-educated, you know, Western people. A lot of other folks you know, or you have to go back 200 years before people were writing about this idea of the Pentecost very much. And then it was Calvin and it was Luther. It was Jonathan Edwards. It was those people. But it's this area of Christianity that we're maybe a little bit frightened of. We're a little bit uncomfortable with, you know, as Anglo Western people, for the most part, we like control. We like order. We like everything to exist, you know, sort of above our nose and our heads. That's where we want it all to live. 
But part of what is being talked about here in this, in this little clip that we saw is they're actually, they're actually calling for the Holy Ghost. They're letting people know that the Holy Ghost exists for them, and he exists for three different themes. I don't know if you kind of heard them in there, but one of the themes was power. I'm pretty sure you heard that one, right? Holy Ghost power. You know, one of the themes is power. One of the, ghosts, one of the themes is Jesus. The part of what the Holy Spirit does is it points people to Jesus, that, uh, that he's the ultimate center of the message of Christianity. He's the reason that the Holy Spirit came. And I don't know if you know, noticed, but it was a, it's a diverse crowd. And that's one of the things that comes out in this movie. I think it's one of the reasons that, uh, that Robert Duvall was so interested in making this movie is because what he saw in the Pentecostal movement was that it crossed all these different cultural boundaries. It crossed all these different racial and ethnic and, and socioeconomic boundaries. The idea is that the Holy Spirit is there to, to give power to preach to talk about Jesus, and to make it accessible to all people. That's sort of the idea here. Now, let me, let, me, uh, let me move us really quickly to the book of Acts. And the book of Acts is where we actually read about this celebration of Pentecost. And uh, I'm going to read it. I'm going to give you a little bit of information, and then we're going to talk about it a little bit more. Let me read this passage of Scripture from Acts chapter 1, 8, and then 2, 1 through 11. It's where the, this, this idea of Pentecost comes from this section. Jesus is speaking the last night. Uh, or actually after he has uh, risen from the dead, before he's taken up into heaven, he says this to the disciples, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Jesus is then taken up into heaven. The disciples go back to Jerusalem. They wait. Verse one, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment, because each one heard their own language being spoken." Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? In other words, aren't these little rednecks from Galilee? Verse 8, then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? Parthians, Medes, Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus, Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the parts of Libya near Cyrene, visitors even from Rome, both Jews and converts to Judaism, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongues, right? It's pretty, it's amazing. It, it really is fantastic. And let me call time out very quickly, and I'm going to move into information mode, and, uh, and I want you to look at a couple things really quickly. The first is this, this idea of Pentecost, where did it come from? Is this the first time we hear about Pentecost? The answer is no. In fact, Pentecost was an Old Testament celebration, all right? And so, what you've got is you've got several different celebrations in the Old Testament. You've got Passover, right? And so Passover was this, this time where essentially the, uh, the Jews or the Hebrews were in slavery in Egypt. And so God enters in and he rescues them. And the way he rescues them is he conquers not only their slave owners, the Egyptians, but he conquers the gods of the Egyptians. That's what the plagues were all about. So we celebrate their, their freedom from slavery, right? And then actually... Pentecost was a Greek word, and it was essentially what, what Steve recommended or talked about today, the Feast of Weeks. 
And 50 days after they celebrated Passover, they would celebrate Pentecost or the Feast of Weeks, which celebrated the giving of the law. Okay, so that's the Old Testament context. Pentecost, in the minds of the people who were hearing the disciples preach, Pentecost was this Old Testament celebration. It was a feast. And it celebrated the giving of the law. That's what they were there to do. And so what happened is, is that Jerusalem would swell. All these people would come into Jerusalem during Passover. Jerusalem, which was a city of about 300,000, would actually become a city of about a, a million during Passover. The feast of uh, Pentecost is probably similar. And so there were tons of people from all over the world celebrating the idea of Pentecost, which was the giving of the law. Now, here in Acts chapter 1 and 2, we've got a brand new paradigm. And the new paradigm is this, is that if in the Old Testament, the primary celebration was the Passover, the celebration of their rescue out of slavery, in the New Testament, the primary celebration is the idea of Jesus' resurrection. It's the idea that in Jesus' life, death, and resurrection that sin and death were conquered. And so in the Old Testament, slavery was conquered. The gods of the Egyptian were conquered. But in the New Testament, Jesus conquers sin and death. And then they're there 50 days later, ready to celebrate Pentecost, the Old Testament uh, celebration and feast. And the Holy Spirit descends upon the disciples and they begin to preach. And instead of remembering the giving of the law now... What is being focused on is the giving of the Spirit and the giving of the gospel, also celebrated 50 days after Easter. Does that make sense? It's almost the fulfillment of the Old Testament. The Old Testament pointed towards a future reality, and then Jesus, as he sits at the right hand of God, our Father Almighty, he then brings together the fulfillment in the giving, not of the law, but rather the giving of the gospel. Okay, there's some context. Now, three things that we're going to talk about today. The first of which is this, that the Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost, this New Testament Pentecost, was for the purpose of empowering the apostles to preach, right? Now, I don't know or understand the theology that was in that movie clip, The Apostle, early on. I don't don't know all of it. But I know that one thing they got right, which is that the Holy Spirit comes to bestow power, particularly upon the apostles, particularly upon the disciples. Listen to verse 1-8 again. We read it earlier. But you will receive power... When the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. In other words, what Jesus is saying here is, don't even bother leaving Jerusalem. Don't even bother going out and trying to do this thing on your own because you can't do it. It is impossible for you without the power that the Holy Spirit will give you, that I will give you through the Holy Spirit. You just can't do it. The task is too large for you, right? So... Several years ago, in one of the Super Bowls, there's a great Volkswagen commercial. Maybe you remember it. But in the Volkswagen commercial, there's a little boy who's dressed as Darth Vader. There he is right there on the right. <clears throat> and so this little boy is dressed as Darth Vader. His dad obviously showed him you know, Star Wars way too early, just like I did for my children. And, and so one of the things the kid gets from Darth Vader is that Darth Vader has the ability to sort of use, I don't know, his Darth Vader powers to sort of move things remotely. You've seen the movies before, or to choke a guy remotely, or do all this stuff remotely. And so the little boy dressed as Darth Vader goes throughout the house, and he tries to turn on the lights, and it doesn't work, right? And then he goes to another area, he goes into the laundry room, and he tries to turn on the washer and dryer by, you know, doing his Darth Vader power. Nothing happens. And then he's kind of bummed, he's disappointed. His parents have been watching him do this. He walks out into the driveway, and his mom and dad are walking, watching throughout the window. He doesn't know they're watching. And the little boy looking a little bit dejected, wants to give it one last shot, 
And so he holds up his hand to the Volkswagen Passat. And when he does it, his dad presses the uh, automatic ignition on his key from inside the house. And the car starts. And the little boy is amazed, right? He's amazed. But, but, but the point of this story is that little boy could do, he could do all the Darth Vader tricks in the world that he wanted to. But it wasn't going to work unless his father empowered him to do it, right? It had nothing to do really with him and everything to do with the fact that his father bestowed power upon him. Again, that's the point. Part of the point of Pentecost is the idea that Jesus is saying here is this task of preaching the gospel, it's too much for you. It's too large for you. You need my power. Listen to this quote from Charles Spurgeon. Remember, I told you all the quotes I could find were really old quotes. Here's a great one. Here's what Spurgeon said. The gospel is preached in the ears of all men. It only comes with power to some. The power that is in the gospel does not lie in the eloquence of the preacher. Thank goodness. Otherwise, men would be converters of souls. Nor does it lie in the preacher's learning. Again, thank goodness. Otherwise, it would consist in the wisdom of men. We might preach till our tongues rotted, till we should exhaust our lungs and die. But never a soul would be converted unless... There were mysterious power going with it. The Holy Ghost changing the will of man. Oh, sirs, we might as well preach to stone walls as preach to humanity unless the Holy Ghost be with the word to give it power to convert the soul. Isn't that a great quote? The idea there is you can preach all you want, right? You can have all the programs in church you want. You can have vacation Bible school and Sunday school. You can have all this stuff. But if you don't have the Holy Spirit, nothing is going to happen. You might as well preach to a stone wall as preach to men. So what does that mean for us? What what does that actually mean for us living here in uh, 2014 in Rome? Do we have the same Holy Ghost power? The answer is yes and no. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. That's what 1 Corinthians 6, 19 teaches us. But really, Pentecost was a sign. And like other signs that we see in Scripture, they point to a reality. They, uh, they hearken to something else. And so what we can take away from this is that we can preach the gospel all that we want, but unless the Holy Spirit works in the person hearing and in the person preaching, there will never be a conversion. That's what John chapter 3 teaches us when Jesus is talking to Nicodemus. And he says, look, you got to be born again, but that happens through the power of the Holy Spirit. And so one of the things that can happen to you out there in the room this morning is that you can be off the hook. Okay, Jesus is letting you off the hook. Do you have to to tell people about the gospel? gospel? Sure. But part of what Jesus is doing, part of what God is doing, is he's basically saying, I'll stand in the living room and I'll press the ignition, ignition key, right? It's up to me. You can be off the hook from having to convert your dad. You can be off the hook from trying to convert your children. You can be off the hook from trying to convert your professor. And you can simply say, I'm glad there's a Holy Spirit because this is his job. And it's not mine, right? The Holy Spirit empowers us and empowers the preaching of the word. That's number one thing we see in Pentecost. The second thing we see in Pentecost is right here. And it's this. The Holy Spirit's coming at Pentecost was for the purpose of pointing people, directing people, driving people, calling people to Jesus. Okay, let me read this, verse 36. This is the content of Peter's sermon on Pentecost. He says this. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Messiah. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, 
Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Christ Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins. Now, there, there are all these different sermons that are recorded in the New Testament. You know, several different sermons recorded in the New Testament. You know what the content of each of those sermons is? Jesus. You know what Stephen wants to talk about? Jesus. You know what Peter wants to talk about? Jesus. You know what Paul wants to talk about? Jesus. The content of all preaching, the content of Pentecost is always Jesus. When I went to seminary, um, I was very fortunate to go to Covenant Seminary in St. Louis, and uh, the president of the seminary there, Brian Chapel, taught our homiletics or preaching class, and in it he basically said, look, your job is not to tell people about your great ideas. Your job isn't to show off intellectually. Your job isn't to do sort of uh, theological gymnastics. Your job is to preach Jesus. And the, if you send people out of the room teaching moralism, which is, hey, do this, do that, and do this, you can do it, then you're actually not only preaching uh, a sub-Christian message, you're preaching an anti-Christian message, right? And so the idea is we must preach Jesus. The danger of another kind of theological bent called liberalism is that you don't preach moralism, but rather you preach, you know, Jesus doesn't really matter. Actually, I found a great quote from a, a professor named Matthew Skinner, uh, who's a professor of New Testament at Luther Seminary, who is a more liberal theologian. And listen to his take on Pentecost, again, from a liberal perspective. Sunday's Pentecost observances are more than a celebration of the past. They are not merely an end to Easter or a chance to launch summer programming. They're not opportunities for stoking nostalgia about the church's supposed glory days. Who needs those? Pentecost is an invitation to dream. For when a community of faith quits dreaming dreams, it has little to offer either its members or the wider world. Like any good dream, these dreams involve adopting a new perspective on what's possible, rousing our creativity to free us from conventional expectations. They help us see that maybe what we thought was outlandish actually lies within reach. Maybe I can find freedom from what binds me. Maybe there can be justice. Maybe I can make a difference. Maybe a person's value isn't determined by her income. Maybe the future of our economy or our society or our planet is not yet determined. Maybe God is here with me, even if my current struggles never go away. Okay? Kind of sounds like a good quote in lots of ways. You know, kind of sounds like the end of a Disney movie in some respects to me. What's absent in that quote is what? Jesus. You know, Peter preached Jesus. Paul preached Jesus. Right? Stephen preached Jesus. Over and over again, the content of the Pentecost and of all of Scripture points to Jesus. Right? Listen to another quote by Scottish pastor Alistair Begg, who I think sums it up well. He says this, There's a way to preach the Bible unbiblically. You can use the Bible as the springboard for all kinds of ideas, can't you? Look around in here and find something that fits your fancy and then launch a rocket off of it. People say, that was amazing, wasn't it? Remarkable what he got out of that. Well, of course it is, because he put it in before he got it out. You like what he's saying there? What he's basically saying is, yeah, that sounded great, because you you put it in Scripture before you ever got it out. In other words, it's very easy to do eisegesis. You read into the text instead of exegesis, which is what you get out of the text. What we get out of the text is Jesus, right? That's the point. So what? So what does that matter for us? Again, Pentecost, what does this quote matter for us? So the reason it matters, the reason that matters that Pentecost was about Jesus, the reason that matters is because when you have the chance to preach, don't preach righteousness, don't preach good works, right? Preach Jesus. Preach Jesus. When you leave Seven Hills Fellowship and you go to another church here in Rome, 
or when you leave Seven Hills Fellowship and you go to another church in Knoxville or Atlanta or in Chattanooga or in Minneapolis, find a church that preaches Jesus. That's the point of Pentecost. Last point. The Holy Spirit coming at Pentecost made the message of Jesus accessible to all people. Look at Acts chapter 2, verses 4 through 8. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them, right? There's a lot of discussion about what tongues means, but right here, very clearly, what tongues means is that uh, the people who were there from all these other parts of the world could hear the disciples preaching in their language, not some sort of angelic language. Verse 5, now there were staying in Jerusalem God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. When they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Utterly amazed, they asked, aren't all these who are speaking Galileans? Then how is it that each of us hears them in our own native language? What's going on here? What's going on here is that, again, Jerusalem has swelled with all of these people from all of these different parts of uh, the ancient Near East. There were people from Rome. There were people from Mesopotamia. There were people from Asia. And they're all there to celebrate this feast in Jerusalem. And when they got there, what they realized is that the Holy Spirit was preaching through all of these apostles in all these languages that they understood. And there's a sense in which God was saying to the Romans, to the Medes, to the Persians, to the Asians, to the Arabs, to all of them, he was saying, I don't want any barrier between you and my son. Just think about the implications of that for a moment. I don't want any barrier between any of you and my son. I'll do whatever it takes to make it possible for you to have a relationship with my son, Jesus Christ, right? I want, I want to glorify my son. I want to draw you into a relationship with my son because he's amazing. He's my son in whom I am well pleased, right? And so it's this idea of, of making Jesus accessible, of making God accessible, about making the gospel accessible. One of our values here at Seven Hills Fellowship is accessibility. So we have this thing called a, a philosophy of ministry, which is essentially sort of, you know, what we value and, and how we want to do ministry and what we think is important, what our goal is. And under this one section called values, we have any of these number of things that we say, we want our ministry to be driven by these values. And one of our values is this term accessibility. In other words, we want people, people to be able to come into worship. We want people to be able to come into Seven Hills Fellowship just as you are, physically, spiritually, emotionally. We, we want to remove the barriers between you and God. We want to remove the barriers between you and Jesus. And part of the reason that this is a value for us is really it became a value for me when I was about 26 years old. I was working at Westminster Presbyterian Church in Gainesville, Georgia, which is a great church, and I love the people there. And uh, I was the youth pastor. I had met a guy named Danny Kalippersad uh, when I was in high school. I went to Trinidad on a mission trip, and Danny and I maintained our friendship throughout the years. And he actually came to stay with Chris and I for several days. He came to America and was seeing some people. And uh, so, uh, you know, we invited him. He came and stayed with us. We hung out. We grabbed dinner. We talked. We played soccer. We did all sorts of stuff. And uh, he was with us spending the night on a Saturday night. And uh, we're sitting around the dinner table that night. And he said, hey, is it okay if I go to church with you guys in the morning? And I was like, yeah, of course you can come to church with us in the morning. And you got to understand, when we were in Trinidad, we saw some extreme poverty. And, and Danny was actually, you know, relatively poor. And so he didn't have, you know, great clothing. And, uh, and he said, he said, can I just wear whatever I've got? And so my, of course, I'm BP. And so my initial response was, you can wear whatever you want, man. I definitely want you to come to worship tomorrow morning. And as I thought about it, I thought, well, you know, he could wear whatever he wanted to. 
But if he wore his black jeans and his white t-shirt and his brown sandals, he really would stick out like a sore thumb in a congregation of people who uh, were dressed in the latest, you know, Eddie Bauer uh, clothing. And so I thought, you know, uh, the truth is, um, Danny, you're welcome to wear what you've got, but you might feel awkward. And so I've got this suit you can wear, and uh, I'll stick it in your room, and you can put it on tomorrow morning. We're about, about the same size. And so he said, yeah, that's great. I'll wear that suit tomorrow morning. I'll come to church with you. So I stuck it in his room, said goodnight, and I got up the next morning, and as I was getting ready to, uh, to walk out, into the, um, out of the house to go to the church, I saw there was a note on the dining room table. And on the dining room table, I, I picked up the note, and it was from Danny. And he said, hey, man, thanks so much to you and Krista for having me. I, you really enjoyed being with you guys. It was great to spend some time with you. I felt a little awkward about not having the right clothes to wear to church tomorrow morning, so I decided to go ahead and hit the road. And when I read that, my heart absolutely sank within me because I thought, you know, Danny's a Christian, and so praise the Lord, but what if he hadn't been? Like, what if he had been someone who was far from God, and all of a sudden, he decided not to come into the presence of God simply because he didn't have the right clothing, right? That's a terrible reason. And so I thought then and there, I remember standing sort of in our, in our kitchen, and I remember thinking, you know, I'll probably never be a pastor, because uh, I was just a youth pastor at the time. But if I ever have the chance to run a church, I want us to really start the kind of church where people don't have to have all their stuff together in order to come to worship. You know, I don't want people to have to worry about wearing the right clothes. And, and so it's funny, sometimes I've had lots of people ask me over the years when they, you know, lead the worship team or when they lead worship up here, they'll say, hey, you want me to wear like a suit? You want me to wear nice clothes? And I, I tell people every time, I just say, you know, I want you to wear whatever you want to wear because when people come in, I want them to see somebody that looks just like them. And so it's great. David Robinson wears a suit when he leads worship. I love it. And the reason I love it is because when people come in wearing a suit, I love the fact they see David Robinson wearing a suit. You know, when Derek Hay comes up here and plays the djembe and flip-flops and a Budweiser t-shirt, there's part of me that's like, hey, cool, good. You know, somebody's coming in here and they're going, wow, I'm glad there are other people in here that like Budweiser t-shirts and wear sandals, right? Because I don't want Budweiser or sandals or t-shirts or suits and ties or anything to be a barrier between anyone and God. Does that make sense? And part of what Jesus is doing here in Acts chapter 2 is from the right hand of God the Father Almighty, he's giving the Holy Spirit to the apostles in order to preach in all these different languages to make a relationship with his father and with him accessible. No barriers, right? Well, except for sin. And, and that's really the good news, and that goes back to the content of our preaching, which is Jesus, because the only barrier between us and God is our sinfulness. It's our rebellion. It's our, it's our inability or our unwillingness to basically say, okay, God, uh, you know, not my will, but yours, right? It, it's basically turning over the keys of your life to God and saying, I am messed up. I've got issues but I want you to be in charge of my life. I want to turn everything over to you. It's, it's what these membership questions were today to Paul and Emily. It's, do you recognize that you're a sinner? And, and the only thing that's standing between you and God is your sin, but do you recognize that in Jesus, that you can not only be forgiven, right? Your guilt is removed, right? God's no longer angry with you, but even more than being forgiven, that if you believe in the Son of the Most High Father in heaven, Above, when you believe in Jesus and put all of your trust and all of your security and all of your hope in him, that it's not that you're no longer guilty, but that God looks at you and he sees you as righteous. That he sees you with the perfection of his son Jesus over you. It's good 
news. And so what God says is, I'm going to remove every barrier that I possibly can between you and me, but the final step is up to you to trust in me as your Savior alone. Who, by the way, we're able to trust in because of the Holy Spirit in us. And so I'm simply going to close this sermon today by asking that the Holy Spirit would be upon us, even as those, we, we prayed those prayers today that C, Steve read. But my particular prayer is for those of you who are sitting in the pews today or in the, the seats today, that God would work in you. For believers, that God would work in you and through you to restore unto you the joy of his salvation, right? That, that you would experience the joy of being declared righteous, that you would experience the joy of being declared not guilty, that you would experience the joy of being adopted as daughters and sons. And for those of you in this room today who aren't believers, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit would work in you, right? And that the Holy Spirit would open up your heart and open up your mind so that you would bow the knee and you would declare that Jesus is not only Lord overall, but that he is your Lord as well. Let me take a moment. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this message of Pentecost Sunday that you, Jesus, from on high, bestow power not only upon the preachers of the word, uh, all of us, but you you bestow bestow power on the, the hearers. And so, Father, I pray that your spirit would go into the hearts and into the minds and into the lives of the believers in this room, but also the unbelievers in this room. I, I pray, Father, that that people would come into a relationship with you this morning, that they would be reborn. Father, I pray that, uh, that your Holy Spirit would come into this room and uh, that we would not be empowered to believe in our ability to live a good life, but rather we would believe in the fact that your son, Jesus, lived the good life that we'll never be able to live apart from you. Father, I pray that your Holy Spirit would come in our hearts and in our minds so that we would see that we can come to you because you've removed every barrier that stands between our brokenness and you through the perfect life and death and resurrection of your son, Jesus, who lived and died for us. And so, Father, it's in Jesus' name that we pray all these things today. Amen.